to head on goal, and Jordan Morris has done it. Appealing in vain for offside, the Chicago Fire defenders. Jordan Morris from the doorstep saves the day for the Sounders. the other way. Look who's running hard after defensively. Wayne Rooney, the net is empty. Big collision by the captain. That is unbelievable effort. Rooney putting one up. Bacosta. The Stateside Soccer Show with Logan and Jordan. Hello and welcome to the Stateside Soccer Show. My name is Jordan Wiegand and with me, as always, is Mr. Upgrade himself, Logan Stump. Yeah, so I upgraded. So I didn't even tell you. Um, I'll send a picture later, um, but maybe I'll post it on Twitter. I'm like, so I'm on Almost, I'm not in the corner of the, like the corner flag, but I'm moved back over towards center. So I'm actually like lined up perfectly with uh, the goal. So uh, I think a better vantage point, I definitely I'm in the first row. So I just have like the band and like the, the, you know, deck in front of me and deck below. So wow. um, I'll be able to see really well. And yeah, I, I did an upgrade and I'm excited to go see my first match uh, next week against Atlanta. Yeah, so you got your first four games. Is that what it is? Yeah, first four games, um, same seat, and it, the upgrade was only like fifty bucks. So, cool. Really you nice. just, like, if you didn't upgrade, you just claim them because you already paid for this. Yeah, game. so you can claim like like tickets, and it, it basically just subtracts from your credit account. So, like, it, basically, what they do is they put all the credit that you would have normally for all your season tickets. So it's like a couple thousand or, or not, like three hundred or whatever I paid for them. I don't remember, but they put all that into your account so that you can play with it and see what you know you can upgrade one game and downgrade another to, to kind of save money so it's nice interesting yeah i mean i can't wait until you go to your first game and we get like, pictures that you can post yeah. on the twitter and instagram yeah. and everything really excited for that uh something we're not excited about right it's talking dc united jeez <laughs> <laughs> oh, jordan <laughs> i think everybody just turned the episode off i'm kidding i'm kidding yeah. this is some shade at, uh, at your DC dad united and my dad no yeah, but funny. uh i did uh no I, I do keep an eye on dc United. i've been to their stadium it's a beautiful stadium i went to a, i took my dad to a game there for his birthday one year uh, when it opened up uh, i took my mom um my wife and my dad to dc united verse Oh man, I don't even remember who they were playing at that point, but uh, nice stadium, really nice stadium. I, I would go there again for sure. And whenever you come up, Logan, the plan is to knock out a few of these stadiums. Uh, but who do we choice. have? Who, who do we have here with us today? Yeah, so Jason Anderson is going to be joining us, and he's the manage, uh, managing editor over at Black and Red U. Um, there, it's their um, their version of SB Nation. Uh, and then he has a podcast that he does as well. Um, and the DC specific one is called filibuster DCU. Um, so that's, that's Jason. He's going to come on and, and talk some DCU. I'm excited to kind of see what his thoughts are on a team that, uh, I think is, I think is going underneath a, a good, a good rebuild. Um, it'll be interesting to see as time goes on, what kind of players they can bring in. Um, but so far I, I really like what I've heard from Aaron Lasada and, and what they've done with him and, bringing him over from, he's a younger coach. I think he's below, I think he's 38 or something like that. He's really young. Um, good looking guy too, Jordan. I think he might take the, you know, how like we have the, what is it? Scott Parker. Um, yeah. over in, uh, this is the Scott Parker version over here in MLS. This guy's a, a handsome man. Um, but uh, I think that he's going to do some really good things with them playing that, that back three and, and getting guys forward more. So I'm excited to talk to Jason, and see what that's going to be all about. Right, let's go ahead and, and bring Jason on. The Stateside Soccer Show. Talking the beautiful game in the land of the free. Breaking down Major League Soccer, U.S. Men's National Team, and more with Logan and Jordan. 
And we are back and we are welcoming Jason Anderson uh, onto the show. How are you today, Jason? I'm doing well. It's a, it's actually a beautiful day outside and I've spent most of it inside, but I'm <laughs> doing fine. It's going to say that's all of us now, are we? We're all kind of looking out the, out the yeah. window going, man, that's a nice day out there. It's uh, weird being stuck in here. <laughs> yeah, I'm based I'm based in Maryland, so I do know that it is a okay. nice day uh, we're not, around, we're not far apart. Yeah, around the D.C. area. Mm-hmm. Um, first question, you know, if you want to give our listeners a heads up on uh, where they can usually find your work and how long you've been uh, following or um, covering the team. Uh, my written stuff is all going to be, at least as of now, going to all be at, uh, blackandredunited.com, um, covering DC United and the Washington Spirit and Loudoun United, though Loudoun, I haven't covered them very much, uh, Leesburg, uh, where they play is very far, uh, that's a haul for me, but, um, as far as audio, uh, forms now, I think it's, it's, I'm down to two podcasts, there were three and now I'm (laughs) down to two. Um, which are uh, filibuster for DC United and Plex Weather for the Spirit, um, and those are, I think the Twitter accounts that are relevant here would be Plex at Plex Weather, all one word, uh, at filibuster DCU, at Black and Red U, uh, all one word for the site, and mine is at Jason DC Soccer, and I think that's all of them. There might be another one, but I <laughs> that's enough. <laughs> I definitely feel the pain. I've done, uh, this is, I don't know how many I have now, like four or five podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, too many, as my wife would attest to. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so we usually start the 2021 season previews by asking our guests to recap 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what are some things that worked out well for DC United in 2020? As uh, Just for clarity, my dad is a DC United fan, so I do know, I've watched them closely, I do mm-hmm. know that uh, there probably wasn't much to take away uh, from 2020, except for maybe that Ben Olsen was let go. Uh, you know, if, if I had to, if you're asking me specifically for things that went well last year, I would say the number one thing is that some of the homegrowns started to get real minutes and actually did something with those minutes they weren't just throwing them out there because what else what else was going to happen this year um Moses Nyaman uh Kevin Paredes got he got the most minutes thanks at first just because there was an injury shortage uh he was the next man up um but then he played himself uh into a regular uh role on the team um Griffin Yao uh, didn't play as much, I think, as Nyman or Paredes, uh, but he, when he did get his minutes, he made an impact on games. He had, um, I think, probably the single most uh, celebrated goal of the entire year, a late equalizer against TFC, um, which, you know, when you look at the standings of how last year went, you would say, wow, DC managed to take any points off of TFC. That's pretty good. Um, so, yeah, they, those guys, those three in particular, um, they were the bright spot by far. Um, there were pretty much no other bright spots. Um, you know, the team entered the year with a plan to get away from the conservative soccer of years past. Uh, they tried it in game one. It didn't really work. They tried it in game two. It didn't really work. Um, they did get a win out of that, but it's kind of a fortunate win over Miami who weren't a particularly good team either. Um, COVID hit. And when MLS is back came, it was like, well, hopefully they've used, um, some time to at least, you know, the video side of things, maybe they can figure the formation out. Instead, it was a return to very basic, very conservative, grinded out uh, play. And the team just wasn't good at that that last year. Um, 2019, they managed to make it work. 2020, everything, all the dangers that come with that, uh, they weren't good at dealing with any of that. They just, they couldn't score. They conceded too often. They conceded in a uh, amazing range of ways um and so everything kind of went to hell quite frankly so yeah it's really about three three young players doing well with their time and everyone else there's just nothing nothing really positive to say so they you know going into the new season um they do bring in a new manager Mm -hmm. uh comes from the top flight of belgium coach I, i think that's pronounced beer shot right the where he comes from i i believe we were uh my co-host on filibuster adam taylor looked into this extensively and he was saying um he actually spoke to someone he knows that lives in belgium and it was more like bear scoat 
okay uh, i feel like it's i feel like that's also not exactly right there's yeah. some sort of mm-hmm. um specifically belgian dialect twist to somewhere in there right. that you're not getting but bear scoat is the closest that we've got right i was gonna say because as an as an american naturally we just kind of go to that oh yeah that must be beer shot yeah. um <laughs> and naturally uh no but they you know they he gets them promoted 2019 2020 up until the top flight um and kind of just leaves in the middle of january he's mm. you know a lot of intrigue coming over here uh Aaron Asada, or losada uh, what does he bring to the club and why was the decision made that he'd come over here? Uh, what he brings is uh, the potential for this team to become a much more modern, uh, high pressing, high risk kind of team. That is kind of the way a lot of the game is going internationally and in MLS. You know, the last few supporter shields have gone to teams that play that way. Um, broadly speaking, I mean, the specifics are he's not going to play like Jim Curtin's Philadelphia Union, but they both do want to high press quite a bit. Um, so that's the main thing is he had success with a team that you know, Bearscoat came out of the second, they won, they were in the second division and they were kind of financially, like if you look into the history of that team, their name, their name has changed like six times in the last 15 years because of various bankruptcies and right. joining with clubs and separating and um, it's a really windy road, but they're, they're not a wealthy club. Uh, even, even within the belt, even within the Belgian league, if you take away the wealthy clubs, they are not a wealthy club o- among what's left. So um, the fact that he was able to get it done with a team where he could not really do much to add to the squad, um, I think appealed to DC coming out of COVID, the loss of uh, revenue, the fact that the club is paying off um loans to build a stadium still that you know that's only a two-year-old thing or two and a half now um so yeah uh money is tight i don't think it's a this is not a team that's going to go spend an fc cincinnati level money um edison flores was a big move a club record in 2020 but i feel like that's we're not going to see another one of those this year um it might be next year until that kind of thing happens so i think that was what they were looking for someone that could excite the fan base with a playing style and also get the job done and, and do, you know, ex- do, bring all that excitement without necessarily requiring saying like, well, you have to sign X, Y, and Z. Um, and it was kind of a journey to get to Lozada because, you know, Olson was let go before the season was over. Uh, Chad Ashton um, actually got some okay results at first, just by kind of being like, guys go have fun out there. Um, he just let him off the, right. you know, like really lowered the pressure level. Um, so he was a candidate for a while. Um, Chris Armas was a candidate for quite a while. Uh, actually at some point, according to, um, I believe the post, um, and the athletic was very close to signing. Um, that went over very badly with, uh, within the fan base. Right. No one, no one wanted that at all. Um, and I, I don't know if DC United saw that reaction was like, well, maybe we should be a little more hesitant here. Maybe we should continue our search a little longer. Um, the same thing kind of happened with Gonzalo Pineda from Seattle, though. I think he was a, I think fans would have been more ex- okay with that. I don't know if people were necessarily excited, but they were like, right. this sounds like the best option. Um, but as this dragged out, as the team had the, they kind of got a gift of not having to make a decision because it wasn't clear when the league was going to start. Um, and so they took advantage of this sort of blessing in disguise and said, well, let's broaden our search a little. Um, and when it became clear that Losada was actually willing to come to MLS and was actually interested in the project, then it was like, well, yeah, why not? So uh, the reaction has been so far quite positive. People, one, I think people just wanted something that was new. It's been uh, over a decade of not new in PC. Everything's been the same. Um, you know, I say that there's a perception that's been the same. There are periods within there that were completely the opposite of the perception. Um, and, but then you would then whiplash right back to the same old, same old. So um, I think people are genuinely excited about the potential here. And Losada has not done anything to put people off. He's uh, pretty charming. I feel like to the, to the fan base, to the media. And also what he's saying is what people want. They want this team to be willing to play these kind of shootout games. So uh, I, I said this on filibuster. I think DC's third game is at San Jose. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're looking for a, just a random game to watch, you don't care. One <laughs> way other, that game seems for all the world, like it's going to be a five, five nonsense game. Yeah. So that, that one, but that's, you know, I think fans here as much as they want MLS cups, they also just want to be thrilled again. 
Um, and this is what Losada promises is, I don't know if it's going to work, but I know it's going to be thrilling. Right, because I was just, I mean, just looking at it, I mean, DC really is the only one that kind of scoops up a manager from outside because, you you know, in Montreal, they, they go inside with non-seated, you know, mm -hmm. Red Bulls as Truber and he was already there. Uh, you look at, you know, Greg Vanny going over to LA and he was already MLS, you know, Armist go up the, I mean, it is weird that Lasada somehow DC, and that's, I think, what a lot of teams felt. And that's why I think Armist ends up in Toronto is just because they just, don't have that web they can reach out to normally. Speaking of Losada's uh, formation, and I know that you were tweeting about it, and I actually picked up from your article that you were um, that, that you had written on the preseason game. Um, Losada tends to be that three-five-two. He likes to crowd that midfield, but uh, I think he was playing a three-four-two-one against um, uh, NYCFC. Was that who they were? Yeah, yeah, them and and Philly both. Yeah, and Philly. Okay, so um, you know, looking at the formations. How does the personnel that the DC has this year kind of fit into that? And was he able to bring in guys that you think fit that formation really well? Uh, one move they made that I think was very specific to making sure they could play in a back three um, was adding Brendan Hines Ike, um, right. a player that was playing in Belgium, that they were um, apparently the club was at least somewhat familiar with him on their own. But Losada was like, this is someone that could definitely play this system. Um, apparently he, the club he was at also played similarly. So uh, that was a move based very much on that because they started the season with three center backs. They came into 2021 with only Steven Birnbaum, who's had now uh, a second ankle surgery um, to, I think it, it was something really odd. It was like he, he got through the surgery, the first thing and everything was fine, but he was having some nerve pain and they had to alleviate that. So he's going to be out till possibly June. Um, it was him, Frederick Briant, and Donovan Pines, and that was it. Everyone else that could have played as part of a back three was someone where you're like, you know, Joseph Mora played there as an right. emergency option a couple times last year. Russell Knauss did that a couple times, but it's not, these are not things that you want for them or for the, the group. Um, so yeah, shifting that way, they needed to add at least one more uh, center back. They've got a couple other center backs on trial that we have not been able to identify that the team resolutely does not want anyone to know who they are um naturally right down to changing numbers the team has actually there's a guy that has worn number 86 and then switched to number 80 um i because we are nerds at black and red united we have our <laughs> spreadsheet that's tracking awesome all this and we've got an entry for trialist 86 slash 80 um <laughs> And when they play the Red Bulls uh, in a couple of days here for their final preseason game, I'm sure he'll be uh, some other number. Um, but yeah, they, they've, I will say they've got what seems to be decent depth at the other positions uh, that a back three requires that are maybe specialized, you know, wing backs. They've got Julian Gressel, Paul Ariolas. Once he's healthy again, we'll be back. Um, Kevin Paredes, I think, makes an ideal wing back. Joseph Mora was a wing back playing in Costa Rica. Um, they've got, they've got some real options in those spots. Um, and then further forward, they've got plenty of guys that can play that, um, in that set of two underneath, uh, the nine, um, guys like Flores, Jordi Reyna, Yamil Assad. Um, there's some reason to think that Nigel Robertha can play there. Um, Kim Arnie Smith, who is currently the team's leading goal scorer in preseason that we, there is the chance that that's not true because there are three goals scored by players that were just not identified by the team. Right. Um, so if, if one guy got all of those, then that mystery player is the leading scorer, but um, Smith has played that in that second level as well. So they've got plenty of depth and some interesting, you know, if, if the team is playing, for example, if Ariola comes back and Jordi Reyna and Yamil Assad are not starters, if it's Ariola and Flores ahead of them, that's a lot of, that's pretty reasonable depth. I think most teams would be very happy even, even some very good teams would be very happy to bring Assad in as a second choice player off the bench. Um, but there are question marks with just about everyone um, up front as well with, with Kamara um, or Smith or Roberta, who um, was at one point potentially going to have to be like a young designated player. They got the deal done with um, targeted allocation money instead. Um he at first when they that rumor first broke it was like i don't know this doesn't seem like that appealing of a player and then he was as soon as it happened uh, as soon as the rumor came out he was on fire in the belgian league i think it was like seven goals in five games and i think his team had 
eight or nine goals in that period. So he was basically carrying them on his back. Um, and in big games in like um, the Sophia Derby, I think was one of them. There's a cup match where he had a hat trick. So um, he did the best he could to sell everyone on the idea of the move, but he's still an unknown because the Bulgarian league is, it's very much, it's not as bad as like last year, DC signed um, Eric Sorga from the Estonian league, which is one of, according to UEFA, I'm not even, I, I can't judge. I have not seen the Estonian league, but according okay. to UEFA, one of the weakest leagues in, in Europe, um, Bulgarian, the Bulgarian league is definitely better than that, but it's nowhere near your, your top 10 kind of leagues where you say, okay, maybe this is someone that's going to um, come in and be an immediate success. So he's a risk as well, but I think they do mostly have a set of players that can play this way. The concerns are center back and central midfield where there again, it's Canales, um, Junior Moreno and Moses Nyaman and everyone else is someone who'd be filling in from a different spot. So that's another issue that I don't know. I don't know if they're going to address it or not because they're very striker heavy right now. Uh, you, you mentioned uh, Paul Ariola, who was injured during his spell at Swansea, and you also have Bill Hamid. It looks like he had to get surgery, and he's out around four to six weeks. Um, is there any update on, I guess, Paul Ariola's uh, injury timetable, like if when, when he would be eligible to come back? And, um, uh, and if he does, how, how much can he help this team uh, that struggled uh, last year? Uh, the timetable, uh, to the best of my knowledge, was four to six weeks as of a week ago. So maybe end of end of April, probably, though, more realistically, probably mid-May um, is when I would expect him to actually be um, in a game. Um, as far as what he can do to help the team, uh, I think he is kind of an ideal player for what Losado wants to do pressure-wise. Um, if, if high pressure and movement off the ball are the hallmarks of how he wants to win games, those are the things that Ariola brings to the table. Um, his ability to, um, pressure teams off the ball. I think it's, it's him and Canals when they get to play the positions they're best at. And for Ariola in this system, he would be one of those two guys underneath the nine. If, if that's the way Losado wants to go, he did come on our podcast and say that, uh, he was very adamant. He's like, I'm not committed to one system, but then has apparently played the same system in every game. So he wants to keep his options open, but he's also focused on plan A right now. Um, if you get Canales and Ariola as part of that box of four in central midfield, um, it's going to be very difficult for anyone to play through that because they're so quick and they're good at reading when to step to somebody, when to get uh, stuck in and when to maybe occupy space instead. So um, as far as that goes, I think he's, I think Lozada even recalled him the best player on the team at one point, which I don't know if I necessarily agree with that, but that's, you know, Lozada knows more than I do, first of all. And, um, if he's looked at his, the way he wants to play and he says, this guy is the best player for what, what I want to do, then that says a lot. Um, as far as, um, the attacking side, one thing that's maybe missing with the group that's been out there is that third runner that that's aggressive about it um you know edison flores is sort of he's kind of an interesting player because he's not really a goal scorer heavy attacking midfielder and he's not really an assist heavy he's more like the kind of guy that a good season for flores in my mind would be like in the like 10 goals eight assist range so it's not heavy one way or the other um and yamil Assad has shown you know he has a 10 goal season in a dc united shirt um so he could do it but he's not necessarily getting those goal mouth um, six yard box kind of scrappy goals. Uh, that is Ariola to a T. He is going to score some ugly goals. And my, for me, at least I've always th said that if your team is scoring a bunch of ugly goals, you're doing a whole lot of things, right. Because the other team couldn't avoid this, you know, right. silly little scramble in front of goal. You end up, this is how Smith, by the way, has scored both of his goals this preseason have been, um, one was a deflection that he then converted with a diving header from, I think three, three yards out. And then against NYCFC, he made a he ran a really smart run, but he is still kind of just knifed between the center box and center backs and stuck his foot out and hoped the ball collided with it. Um, and it did get there, but it was kind of a scrappy striker's goal. Um, I think if Ariola is part of this team and if he's at his best or even close to his best, that's the kind of thing he's going to be productive at. And I think if he's that player again, 
as he was in 2018, I think he becomes kind of indispensable for this group. Yeah, so I'm, I'm moving into the attack um, and getting more specific questions about guys. Um, first, I, I just want to ask, like, you know, near the bottom of the league and goals scored last two seasons, uh, it, you know, is there something in particular they need to improve? Is there, you know, something they're lacking up top? Uh, what exactly is it that makes them struggle so much up top? <laughs> uh it's pretty much everything last last year especially um it, it was this mix of loss of confidence um I think a lot of the players that I think they entered the season expecting their new way of playing to work and when it didn't there was a lot of like oh this is this is no good uh, right. like a, and it, it seemed like it was a collective loss of that uh belief so that's part of it is just getting that back um which is maybe why Ashton had such a you know, an ability to turn things around. Cause he was like, no, no, no you guys can do this. Uh, remember you're actually, you know, prof professional caliber soccer players. Um, but you know, the movement wasn't very good. Um, some, some players were trying to do too much. Uh, someone like Julian Gressel was trying to play a ton of home run balls last year. And I think it was him saying nothing else is working. Um, so let's <laughs> kind of swing for the fences here. Um, you had other players who kind of went, kind of into themselves a little bit and got kind of conservative with their own choices and were sort of dodging mm -hmm. the responsibility of being the one to make the killer pass or go to goal with a shot. Um, so yeah, it was just a, an across the board thing where everything seemed to be a domino into the next and it, it just, it's circular. Um, this vicious cycle happened where everyone lost confidence. Everyone's um, making the wrong call. They're inside their own head. They can't finish, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that's how you end the season with uh, almost no goals and most of them coming in a short span of time. Um, so yeah, uh, improving all of those things, it's, it's really a, a, a full network improvement that needs to happen because if they, if they have a repeat of that, this is going to be another extremely long season, uh, especially if they want to take a bunch of risks on top of that, because if you're taking risks and you can't score, that's how you finish dead last and maybe <laughs> set some records. Right. Uh, when you mentioned lack of confidence, uh, is that do you think that applies also to uh, Kamara? You know, he had a great season in 2018 with the Galaxy. Mm. Uh, last year, specifically, only the four goals uh, in 20 in 22 appearances. Um, you know, he was such a. I, I remember, like, like I said, my dad's a DC fan, so I follow them at times while I'm a I'm a Philadelphia Union fan, uh, mm. but. Uh, you know, so when they heard, when I heard they were getting Ola Kamara, you're like, this is this is a great signing. And then they signed Julian Gressel, and you're like, this is a great signing. And uh, Assad, this is a great signing, but they just haven't been able to put together. But specifically for Kamara, do you think it's just confidence or is it a service issue? Like, what was uh, the main issue there? And do you think he's the starting number nine for the club in 2021? I think he enters the season as the likely starter. Uh, but I definitely think there is genuine pressure, um, whether that's Roberta um, as a long shot, maybe someone like Sorga or Giovanni Bolivar, who is a complete unknown um, other than he plays for Venezuela's under 20s. He's done well in their the domestic league there. Um, I doubt that Bolivar ends up being the starter, but it is kind of an open question. Kamarni Smith is doing everything he can to put himself up as an option as well. Um, but I think Kamara on day one is probably the starter. Uh, last year, it's kind of, uh, it's again, it's one of those everything at once problems. He he lost confidence maybe more than anyone else. And so there were a lot of chances where he got in alone or into a very promising position and would keep the ball a little too long and his ankle is gone or he kind of hesitates and then shoots right at the goalkeeper, all these kind of decisions that in the past he's been clinical. And it's, it, especially when he was in Columbus, it was very casual for him. Um, he would make a good run, give himself a ton of room, size up where the goalkeeper is going, pick out a corner and put it away. And it was very like, it was never very fussy. It was just like, Oh, you know, I I'm good at striking a ball in a straight line at this angle. I can do this all day. Um, and that casualness was gone for Kamara. He was definitely, inside his own head, maybe more than anyone else on the team. Um, I think some of that is on him. Um, I know that there was an issue of he was in the frame for Norway's national team for their um, uh, UEFA qualifying playoff, I think, and he didn't get called in for that. Um, kind of bad news for him that um, Holland has turned out to be 
world class. Uh, it's not great if you're from a small country when one of the other guys uh, <laughs> at your position ends up being uh, one of the right. best in the world. Um, but another problem they ran into that um, is not really Kamara's fault is that DC didn't generate the kind of looks that um, he thrived uh, with in Columbus. They weren't good at spreading teams from touchline to touchline. They didn't offer enough movement centrally to sort of draw defenders away from Kamara. And so a lot of times the defense was like, they didn't have enough distractions to not focus first on Kamara. And so the runs he was making, were, they were tracked. Um, they were blocked off. They were otherwise inaccessible. Um, and it, you, you were right to bring up um, Gressel in this equation because when you think of how Joseph Martinez and Julian Gressel, the relationship they had, it was kind of a similar thing where Martinez often had plenty of space. Gressel often had plenty of time to pick him out. Um, and the surface would come in from wide, whether it's a cross or just a square ball across. But um, the point was that the dynamic was similar. And I, I was asking Ben Olsen about this in the preseason, and he didn't want to say like, yeah, that's what we're exactly what we're thinking. But he was kind of like, well, we're excited about both players. We think they can um, make it work like that. But whatever it was, whether it was the players don't fit together as well as imagined or the system, I think some of it was the system. DC was often trying to be very compact and thus they were not stretching teams uh, for the full width of the field. Um, it just did not pan out. So some of it was a simple um, Kamara playing a system that I think did not create the kind of chances where he is at his best. Um, but some of it, he has to take some of it too. He did have enough chances, not certainly not to be in like the golden boot race, but enough chances to get to like 10 goals last year. Um, and it just, it did not pan out. Um, so it's it's that whole that whole thing again last year was really a kind of a pit of despair <laughs> yeah so i mean creating chances i mean I, it sounds like from that three four two one that that's ultimately what's going to be expected is that they're creating chances that they're using that, that box and you know that four in the box like you know, that boxy four in the midfield um can you kind of explain you know maybe to listeners that aren't familiar with that formation and kind of understanding how that's going to work um, maybe how the players play in that kind of formation and, and how crucial is that midfield, which pieces uh, are going to be relied on heavily to, to uh, perform in the attack. So, so the specifics of how Lozada wants to do it based on, you know, we, unfortunately DC hasn't streamed any of their preseason right. games. Um, I am resourceful enough that I managed to see one of them. Um, but the main thing you're going to notice with this group is that the, the numbers they get forward um is is pretty wild especially coming from years of dc not necessarily even when they were a high scoring team 2016 mm -hmm. and 2018 um they weren't sending a lot of numbers forward very often it was either counterattacks or rooney and acosta kind of working it out on their own this is a team that floods the, the attacking third with with uh players in black um the wingbacks there there were stretches of this game against nycfc especially where the wingbacks were up even with those attacking midfielders um Russell Knauss often is joining the attack late as an extra runner from central midfield. So you end up with, you know, as many as seven players uh, in the attack. And this is what Lozada wants them to do. He's willing to push seven and the guys that are stuck, the one, the, the uh, three center backs and the one defensive midfielder, kind of good luck guys. Uh, you're going to have to at least hold the fort down until everyone can come back. This is also why he talked so much about fitness yesterday because everyone on this team is going to have to be able to run a tremendous amount of distance in every single game. Um, but yeah, I, I think they want to leverage that, that central four because so many teams in MLS are playing some version of a three uh, or a four, three, three, or uh, four, two, three, one. And so this is an overload that you can have over and over again, if you execute it correctly, if they don't get the balance, right, then it's more like you've got right. two and then two other guys and there's plenty of space between them. Um, so that's, I'm sure, a major point uh, on the training ground so far has probably been we have to, if we're going to play this way, if we're going to take this risk on the flanks, it has to be worth it in the middle. We have to make sure we're making our 4v3 here actually count. Um, so they are probably going to be a work in progress as far as this goes. But the main thing that people need to look out for is you're going to see DC regularly sending between five and seven men into the attack right um and it's not going to be a well we're, they're they're down one nothing and it's the 86 minute it's going to be it's zero zero and it's the seventh minute and all of a sudden everyone's forward they they <laughs> actually gave up a goal um 
against NYCFC on a corner kick. And, you know, with the fact that those two teams play in the opener, I'm sure this was not a scripted corner kick for DC. Um, What they did on the play was literally send everyone that wasn't Chris Seitz forward. (laughs) Uh, They had one person outside the box to receive what turned out to be a short corner. So they had eight players inside the penalty area. And the whole reason they conceded the goal is that the pass in was very bad. And all of a sudden it became three NYC players uh, against one at one point which is not great. Uh, it was not a lot of fun to watch that, but the fact that they were taking that kind of risk, um, I think kind of summed it up to me. Like, this is what it's going to be like this year. Um, they are going to flood the attack with numbers from out wide. They're going to flood uh, from up the middle. Um, you're going to see at times, especially looking into what Bearscoat did, um, a willingness for those outside center backs to actually get out wide. And you're going to see them even pushing in and, um, wingbacks eventually will start to jump in as a fifth man into the middle uh, during buildups. So um, this is a all out kitchen sink kind of attacking way of playing, but it's going to, once they get it right, if they get it right. um, But once they've had time to rehearse this kind of thing, it is going to be a pretty high wire act as far as just the sheer number of players they're putting forward and the overloads they want to create, especially in that central area, whether it's with four or bringing a wing back in and making it five. Uh, so just a quick question here about uh, Edison Flores, mm-hmm. you know, uh, second year with the club now uh, had, you know, a tough year just overall with it being 2020 as a whole uh, and trying to start a, a, a career at a club then. But do, what do you make of uh, Edison Flores and do you think his, uh, he can be better this year um, at all. I mean, I know you guys have to be probably banking on him <laughs> being better this year, but you know, do you, you mentioned you saw at least uh, one of the preseason games, um, mm-hmm. you know, it has uh, what, what's the feel around the camp about Edison Flores? Uh, well, he got an assist in that game. So that's a plus. Um, that's, it was nice to see that him uh, making a run from a, a run that broke the offside trap. Um, Yamil Assad picked him out and then he had the ball in for Kamarni Smith to finish off. So um, that's something it's, it's a, it's a promising start. Um, It took, um, it took a while for DC last year to figure out what they wanted out of Flores. Um, So some of last year, I don't really hold him responsible for because to my mind, if you're going to spend $5 million on a player, you, you should know what you're doing with him when he arrives. And instead it seemed like last year he got here and it was like, well, now let's figure it out. Right. Um, Rather than it being like, okay, what we had in mind didn't work, let's try something else. Um, he played, he started the season on the right wing in a 4-3-3, um, but a right wing role where he was, there was actually, there were actually arguments as to whether um, he was playing underneath the striker and Gressel was the winger in actuality or not because of the fact that they were both um, kind of swapping roles as the attack would come forward. Um, later in the year, it became, he's playing under the forward, he's playing on the left, uh, Chad Ashton played him sometimes as a striker in a 4-4-2, sometimes out on left midfield, which is where he plays for Peru. Um, so, yeah, it seemed like last year they didn't really know exactly what they wanted to do with him. They knew they had a talented player, but they didn't really know what what exactly was the next step there. Um, I think this year, if the team is going to actually make the playoffs and excel uh, in any kind of way, They've got to get him. You know, I mentioned him as the kind of guy that can be like that 10 goal, eight assist range. They've got to get him into that range Um, because as much as they've got a lot of depth, they've also got enough question marks uh, hanging over enough players where I don't think they can get away with him being a player who has a disappointing year. They could. It's it's theoretically, you know, if uh, Yamil Assad and Paul Ariola are brilliant, then maybe Flores is not that important to the team. But I feel like it's a bad idea to bank on to other players who maybe aren't quite as technically gifted, aren't as good off the ball, um, aren't as much of a, a good finisher because Flores in uh, Liga MX has shown that he is pretty excellent in front of goal. Um, but yeah, if they can't get him going, it is going to take a sort of an unexpectedly high performance, a uh, good performance out of somebody else on the team to make up for it. So um, as far as what they need to do to get him going, I think a lot of it is um, – getting his confidence back, giving him a clear picture of what his job is, which I think it seems like Lozada might be better at than Olsen. This might be an advantage that he has is 
explaining very clearly, hopefully uh, the Spanish language situation helps as well, um, explaining very clearly what he wants him to do uh, on both sides of the ball, because Olson was kind of a, he preferred to let the players figure it out. And sometimes that was very good. Um, that allowed Rooney and Acosta to freelance, but it also, when you have players that want more structure and more instruction, you can't just send them out there and be like, go express yourself. You've got to give them the structure or they won't do well. And I think last year, I think that we learned that Flores might be more of a structure player than an unstructured player. So hopefully with a, a blueprint that is more specific, um, he can start to figure things out a little more and, and make some, he started showing some connection last year. His numbers at the end of the season uh, got a little better. Um, I think he, I want to say he got to three assists, something like that at the end, but it took a long time before he got anything. Um, so just having a defined role, I think is going to be enormous for him. So moving on to the defense, um, you know, bottom of the five and goals allowed last season, uh, I guess, you know, looking at 2021, what are some things that, that DC United needs to kind of shore up to, to be better in the back line? Uh, I think job number one has to be uh, being more alert uh, than they were last year. It seemed like for whatever reason, the same, the, the recipe in 2019, where the defense kind of carried that team to the playoffs, um, it was the same players. Um and they just, it, it just wasn't there for them. The connections weren't there. They were slow to react to things. Uh, they were vulnerable on set pieces. They were vulnerable on throw-ins. Um, I think they gave up four or five goals that were attacking throw-ins that very quickly became goals, which is kind of a nightmare uh, for me personally anyway. Right. Um, but yeah, they were, they were just inattentive a lot of the time. Um, and some of that is just it's not like it's not like we're talking about a defense full of young guys. Donovan Pines right. is the only youngster in that group, and I would argue he might have been the best player out of yeah. that group. So, um, yeah, it, it's it's got to be because Heinz like is the lone defensive reinforcement. Um, the group has to just be more alert, and they have it in them. It's not like um, Burnbaum and Briant. If if anything, that's going to be what they lean on is their reading of the game their ability to solve these problems ahead of time rather than have to react. And then, especially with Briant being, uh, I can't remember if he is 35 or turns 35 very soon. Um, but at that age, you're not going to be as good of an emergency defender sprinting and diving in. So he has to prevent those situations from happening. So um, yeah, a lot of it was just down to that was simple inattentiveness guys, just not having the full level of focus that you need to defend well. Um, especially on these, you know, the set pieces and throw-ins, um, they were those goals seemed to be the kind of goal that they would be doing okay in a game, and then they would make the one mistake, get punished for it, and then the game would kind of collapse from there. Um, and if they can, one, get the focus back where they're not doing that so often, but two, they also need to be a little more resilient, um, especially with Lozada. Um, taking the risks he's going to take. This team is going to concede. There's no way this team finishes top of the table on uh, the best defensive record. They're, they are going to concede a lot. If they are, if they somehow end up being the shield winner, they're still going to be like mid table in goals allowed. They're just going to concede too many goals. Um, so this group has to get better. These defenders specifically have to get better at when something goes wrong, you have to be able to put it behind you and get back to what you do. Um, but yeah, the main thing I think is just, they've got to be more locked in last year. It just seemed like a distracted group of players that were not focused enough to defend well. Uh, so they added, you know, Brendan Heinzeich who played in Belgium, uh, as well. Uh, is he, uh, is he kind of being penciled in as a starting defender with Birnbaum out? Yeah, it looks like Heinzeich right now i think he's probably going to start on the right right side of the back three um based on the two games we've seen and and there were a couple of uh highlights the team put out from their earlier top secret preseason games that at least gave us some sense of where some of the other players were um but yeah in belgium the data that i was able to find on um uh fb ref and, and a couple other sites indicated that he was on the left side of the back three and I also saw some things saying that he did not play very well in that role. 
Um, but with DC, our expectation was like, well, if he's got experience there, we know Pines is right-footed. He's Pines is probably to the right. Heinzeich is probably to the left. Um, but it hasn't been the case. It's been those two have been flipped. So Pines has been to the left side instead. Um, when uh, Birnbaum comes back, whenever that is, then it becomes a question of who's going to go, which is unclear at this point. Certainly, I, I imagine it's an open question for Lozada as well. Um, but I do think if if you're asking me who's most more likely to get the highest number of starts on the team in defense, it probably is either Heinzike or Pines. Um, at this point. So yeah, I think he's probably going to be, uh, unless he plays badly enough that they have to drop him, or maybe one of these trialists, these unknown guys, um, plays so well that Heinzike becomes second choice, uh, then that might happen. But as of right now, all of those are big ifs. So it looks to me like he is probably going to be uh, day one, starting on the right side of the back three, I would imagine. So um, it was reported that uh... Bill Amid was going to be out, a uh, missing piece. What does DC lose with him being out to start the year? Um, what is his timetable, and do they have a solid backup option to kind of fill in for him until he gets back? Uh, so his timetable is, I want to say, another player who's maybe looking at mid-May uh, gotcha. to come back. Um, assuming everything – he apparently was very close to coming back from an off-season hernia surgery and right – as they were building him up, he had a calf strain, which is one of those classic, like you have a surgery, you lose some fitness, they try and build mm -hmm. you up and something goes wrong. Um, so uh, hopefully he's, he's able to come back quickly. Um, Bill, of course, has had his troubles with a, a range of injuries. He's had a shoulder, he's had a meniscus problem, um, among others. So hopefully no more setbacks for him. Um, because, you know, to answer the question about his replacement, it's probably Chris Seitz. Um, it might be John Kempen, but Seitz has gotten more of those minutes in preseason, so it looks like he's got the edge. Um, but the team went and got Kempen. They traded for Kempen specifically, I think, to get someone with uh, more experience. They didn't want, you know, a 19-year-old third stringer and, and hope that that works because they wanted some competition. You know, Seitz, since he's been in D.C., he's had a couple games that were very unconvincing. And last year he had a couple that were not very good. But then because he played, he sort of played his way back into better form. Um, and, and by the right before he then lost the job to Hamid again, he was actually doing pretty well. Um, so I think that competition is very important um, in goals specifically. I think it has helped um, sort of sharpen sights up uh, since he got here. Um, but yeah, he's probably the day one starter. Um, but he doesn't realistically, he does not have... Um, Hamid's ability to make the game-changing save. Um, he is a good organizer. He's got a lot of experience. Um, he's very good with the ball at his feet um, sites, which is going to be important. This is a, probably a team that is uh, going to be playing short out of the back at pretty much against anyone, I feel like. I feel like they're going to be like, we don't care how much you press. We don't care how good you are at it. We're playing out of the back. Um, so that's going to be important uh, for sites and for Hamid um, when he gets back. But um, yeah, there there is a one raw difference between them is that Hamid can make saves that I think just about uh, no one in the league can make. Um, he makes these impossible saves that you're like, well, that's, that just saved. Like, I know it's save means saved a goal, but like, there are things where it's like, there's no way that's not a goal against any right. other team. Um, and that's what Hamid can bring that, you know, sites made some good stops last year, but he does not have those, that caliber of stop in his bag. Uh, and I probably never have. I've followed him since he was at Maryland and he'd probably be the first to admit he cannot make some of those that Hamid can. Um, so yeah, that is going to be kind of a, a question mark because this team's going to give away chances. Uh, just like I was saying, the goalkeeper is going to be busy. Uh, even if they're good, there's going to be a lot of saves to be made. So um, sites is someone that's going to have to be pretty important. Normally the backup keeper who maybe needs to play five games at the start of the season, you think, well, as long as he's fine, we'll be able to get through it. I think sites needs to be better than fine in those games to get DC into a position down the road. Um, cause if, if I think of how the season's supposed to go, I think this is a team designed to make its push weight and get into the playoffs, uh, via that route. They play, I think it's six out of their last nine or at home. Um, but they have to be in a position to make that jump uh, late. If they make a great push late on, but they were so bad early on that it doesn't matter, then they're out of the playoffs. So um, I do think sites ends up, or if it's Kempen, if Kempen uses these last few days of the preseason to push ahead, 
whoever it is, they're going to have to be better than just fine. Um, they probably need to put at least one highlight real save out there that changes the result of a game at some point. Um, if DC is going to be positioned well to, to make a push at the end. Yeah. So before we get to the last question, mm -hmm. um, I, uh, you know, we've got, we've actually gotten really close with some of the guys at, uh, uh, Cincy soccer talk. And we, we of course have to, uh, kind of bug you about the Luciano Acosta, sure. uh, one, because I'm really curious. I know Jordan's probably really curious and, and we're trying to put together our predictions for the season. And since he's kind of one of those hot topic teams, because they've spent so much, um, can you kind of speak to, cause Luciano, it seems like he would go through these really good stretches with DC. I mean, really, really good. And then all of a sudden he just kind of fall off the earth and he did it with Atlas. I mean, he just completely fell off and mm -hmm. uh, I'm not sure what FC sense he's going to get. And I'm sure they don't and are hoping they get a good one. Um, but can you kind of speak to his time at DC and then maybe what to expect or what you might expect from him? Uh, you know, when Lucho arrived, he was, I want to say only 20, I think he turned 21 soon after he got here. Um, and definitely had all the confidence in the world. Um, mm -hmm. but when he got here, the team was not very good. Uh, he walked into a situation right. where the team was bad and he was not good enough to take them further. I think he felt like, oh, I can carry this team. No problem. It did not pan out that way. Um, and I think in 2018, during the pre-Audi field stretch, the way that they were set up to play was not conducive for him because he's not very fast. And they were basically sitting deep and trying to hit on the counter um, with some speed. They had Darren Maddox up top at the time. Um, and that was kind of the idea was to be a counter-attacking team, which is not necessarily Lucho's game. He can play the through ball, but if you're not able to find him for that, then he's right. not really involved very much. He did have um, a pretty dramatic, uh, I want to say like a 94th minute equalizer in a game that was played at the Maryland soccer plex. Mm -hmm. um, uh, an M the only MLS game played there ever. Um, but yeah, it was kind of a rough go of it. And I think he was probably pretty unhappy. Um, and, and then the fact that Wayne Rooney arrived and now he's also no longer the star of the team. Um, I don't know if he was even the star of the team before that, if I'm being right. candid, because I think Bill Hamid was probably the biggest local face of the, for the team. Um, but yeah, adding Rooney all of a sudden, I think Lucho found someone with a similar mindset as to how the game should be played. And it, like you said, he became unplayable. Basically it was, it was pr pretty ridiculous. The, the mm -hmm. numbers he put up were good full season numbers over half a season. Um, what he can bring you know, on the dribble, the entertainment factor, um, I think is undeniable. And I think even when he was not necessarily super impressive results wise, the entertainment factor was still there and DC fans loved him, even though the numbers weren't necessarily there very much. I think there was like a seven assist, something like that season, nothing special for a starting number 10 in MLS. If that's your, your number 10, you probably aren't doing so well if they've only got to seven assists. Um, but some of that wasn't his fault. I mean, some of the time he was just trying his best and the guys around him were not good enough to profit from it. Um, so yeah, it, he is extraordinarily moody. Um, I do think that there is a misread of who he is because a lot of times there's a read that like he's having an emotional reaction towards yeah. him and that he is checked out from the group. And it's more like, he's more like the kind of person that needs to let it out and then he's fine. Um, gotcha. which is what the players and coaching staff always said, like, no, Lucho's mad right now, but like tomorrow it won't be such a big deal. Um, so for Cincinnati to get the best out of him, I think they do they need to be absolutely sure that Brenner and Jurgen Lokadia and a few of the other guys on that team, um, Frankie Amaya, if he is still there, who knows about that? <laughs> um, but all of those guys need to, I think Lucho needs to see a kindred spirit uh, in them in terms of how they want to go about the game. And I think he's a player um, that actually did benefit from the hands-off uh, Olsen style. So if Yap Stam is like, you have to do this X, Y, and Z, you have to be here when we press, uh, you have to be here in possession. That's not really Lucho's game. Lucho wants to have a lot of freedom to express himself. He wants to have freedom to drift out wide to the touchline and isolate a fullback. Um, he wants to be allowed to dribble X number of times. Um, however many he feels like he needs, that's how many he wants. Um, so if the coach is like, you can't dribble in this zone of the field, that's not Lucho. Uh, that's going to go badly. Um, I think for the entertainment factor league wide, it would be great to see him be the 2018 version of Lucho. I think 
Um, as much as that's bad competitively for everyone else in the East, uh-huh. I think it would be a lot of fun. Um, but I, I have my doubts. Uh, I'm seeing some of the data that followed him to Atlas. Um, you know, his the 2019 Lucho in MLS was actually, according to some of the data, better than the one that was playing at Atlas. Um, so that's not promising. The fact that he's showing some signs of decline at this point in his career is not a good sign. Um, but if they can, if they can get through to him on you know the psychological level, if he can find a place where he feels free to be Lucho and not just a guy in part of a structure, he might be able to turn back the clock a little bit and be. I mean, he's still only in his late twenties. It's not like he's actually old. Right. So, I think there is the potential that he does well. I know he's going to do well against DC. I've already <laughs> those games I've written off in my mind um, as a sure thing that he's going to to. Uh, DC is probably going to have to score four goals to beat uh, Cincy this year because Lucha is going to have three of his own. Um, but outside of those games, they're going to need to do well <laughs> the other the rest of the season. And that's where it, I don't know. Um, I think they are taking a gigantic risk. Um, but that seems to be the FC Cincinnati way of doing yeah. things, taking a series of gigantic risks that maybe don't connect. Uh, maybe this is the time they finally hit one. Um, it would be a lot of fun. But uh, I... I I have my doubts as much as I hate to say it. I like Lucho. I just don't think that this is going to work. I was going to say, I just looking at the stretches that he's had and, and really just not good at Atlas at all. But then yeah. uh, if you have to score four against Cincinnati, you might be in luck. Cause I think that that's something that a lot of teams can do. But uh, <laughs> so the last question we like to ask um, all of our guests and just kind of get a sense of what the, what the feel is around the club. What's a good season for DC United? Is it, you know, pushing towards the playoffs is it increasing your value with players is it is it trying to get players in that work is it you know the system trying to figure out Aaron on system uh what is it that makes dc united a, a happy team this year uh i think a successful team here this is i think because of the early days um even fans that adopted the team in like the mid 2000s what they heard about was that they were walking mm-hmm. into a situation where this team wins a bunch of trophies all the time um and so the first couple of years like well you know maybe you catch a tough break here and there right um, I'm, I'm one of those since 96 type of people so um i have seen the peak of the roller coaster and also yeah. the very bottom um and i think the fan base is demanding because of that history and the team even even in a year where people are like we understand it's a rebuild we understand you've got a new coach there is still a demand to win something um Maybe, maybe I think the fan base understands that this is not a shield winner. They're probably not going to win MLS Cup because of the Open Cup structure this year. They're most likely, because it's all early, they're probably not going to be one of the eight teams that qualifies to get right. in. Um, but I think making the playoffs is still the te- fan base is still going to be upset if this team doesn't make the playoffs. And it's not, I don't think they're going to be too chill about being like, well, that, you know, they understood the structure, it looks good for next year there's still going to be some, some really salty DC fans if this team is finishing eighth or worse. Um, so I think they do have to make a playoff spot to count it as a successful season. Um, but there's also a mandate to entertain because this fan base is so desperate for an entertaining team that Losada coming in and saying like, my team will entertain you. I promise uh, we're going to be a lot of fun. We're going to score a ton of goals. Um, we are going to do this and that. Um, he's writing a pretty big check and the fan base here knows enough to know what entertaining soccer is and what it is not. And if they aren't entertained, they're going to be mad quickly. Um, so as much as it is a, a season that I think the first few months are going to be result wise, not very good. Um, if, if early on, you know, if we're in July and they're showing progress towards becoming a good team, I'll count that as a victory. Um, but still by the end of the season, if they're kind of not that fun to watch, then even if they if they become a grinded out team that gets into the playoffs, it'll be a disaster. People will be furious. Um, if they are a ton of fun to watch and they finish eighth, people won't be happy, but they'll be like, well, you know, at least the pro- we got what was promised. You know, maybe the success wasn't there, but the promise of entertaining soccer was was answered. Um, so people will be unhappy, but not necessarily really mad. Um, but yeah, it is a it's a tough uh, a tough spot to be in for Losada because he has a fan base that is demanding of every every year. There's got to be success, um, and they are also tired of just the playoffs because Olson 
I think a lot of times was like, we got to get in the playoffs and then we'll see what happens. And they did get in the playoffs and what happened was a first round exit. And that got old uh, a few years ago and it kept being, well, it didn't get less old over time. Um, but the one recent season the fan base was happy at all was 2018, where at least they were entertained. Um, that team was fun to watch. Very different in a different way from Losada, I think. But they were fun to watch, and the fan base was heartbroken, but not angry at the way that season ended with the penalty kicks uh, loss against Columbus, um, as opposed to 2019, where you know they they managed they lost five one in the first round, but they managed to get to extra time, which is bizarre to lose five one. <laughs> yeah. um, but the fan base was very unhappy with that. They were it wasn't like well at least we got in. It was like this team sucks. I hate everything. Um, yeah. I, I'm thinking about not renewing my season tickets, etc. Right. Um, so yeah, this is this is a, a city where you have to win and entertain to get this fan base on board. So. If they're entertaining uh, all year, that's going to be important. And if they happen to get into the playoffs, um, I think that would be a full success. Um, but if I had to pick one that is more important, I would say they probably need to put on a good show. Um, if they finish ninth, but they are like one of the league's leading goal scoring teams, people will be like, okay, this is worth my money next year. Um, and ne maybe next year I'll be mad if they don't win it all. But this year I can at least be like, I can keep my madness to myself, if that makes sense. I can keep it <laughs> internal. All right, so that, uh, that usually wraps up the uh, questions there. Did you just want to plug uh, where people can find you one more time? Uh, sure, it's uh, at Jason DC Soccer on Twitter, uh, at Black and Red U. The website is blackandredunited.com for all of our uh, written stuff. The uh, DC podcast is uh, at Filibuster DCU, and uh, I think the website for that is on there. It's too long for me to remember the full name. <laughs> Unfortunately, it doesn't have an easy name. Um, but yeah, uh, those are, those are the main things, uh, for DC and me. And, uh, yeah, I think that's it. I, I might be forgetting something, but I don't think I am. And that was Jason Anderson of black and red U and filibuster DCU and all the places he just uh, said a moment ago. Uh, Logan, what was your thoughts here on DC United? Still got them near the bottom here. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I do like the the coaching change, but I, I do think with some of the injuries that they're going to have early on, their their best goalkeeper, which is probably one of their best players, uh, is out, and he's going to be out a couple of weeks. Um, you've got one of their center backs that's going to be out, and that was a, a big cause con for concern last year was their defense being in the bottom five. Um, I don't think they really added anything that I saw that was one uh, goal proven or somebody that's going to get you a lot of goals or create a lot of chances. Uh, so I, I didn't see where that that's going to get much improvement. I think that they're going to stay pretty subpar um, in the attack. And, and again, I, you know, having to rely on Kamara, who's really looks like he's on his way back down. Um, Flores might be their best attacking, uh, you know, creator. To, it just seems like this team, like you need, an, you need that identity. You need that way of playing. And I, I just don't see where DC United has made enough to kind of fit into the, the formation that he's going to play, the style of play that Lasada is going to want from them. And I just don't see where this team, this team is definitely one of the weaker ones, I think, in the East. For me, this is just a huge question mark, huge question yeah. mark. And I think it comes down to Hernan Lasada, really. I don't think Olsen was able to get enough out of this team. Right. And it sounds like from what Jason was saying, he's just kind of a almost Thomas Tuchel type where it's just yeah. go figure it out, right? Yeah. Go figure it out. Um, but, I mean, seriously, when you look at the talent on this squad, you know, Kamara has been proven in MLS. Uh, uh, Gressel has been proven in MLS. And you have the additions of Edison Flores. You have, uh, you know, just the fact that they can't get it together. I'm not so sure I would say that is on the players i mean paul Ariola with gressel with uh ola kamara i think should be a really good team you know they just they just should be and it, the question mark is the manager so for right now i'm going to lean more towards them being still near the bottom but if losada comes in and he's really great at his job 
I think this team could potentially be right outside the playoffs. Again, it all depends on, I think, the management and, and right. these early injuries. Uh, the, the Bill Hamid injury, the Birnbaum injury, the Paul Ariel injury, all those injuries could be devastating for them. But this is MLS. We've had Seattle on the brink, you know, of not making the playoffs in the summer, bringing in somebody like Ladero and making a run and winning MLS cup. Theoretically, the same thing could happen, but instead of them bringing somebody in, it's somebody coming back from injury and then they just turn it around. You know, I, I think Jason was a little worried about the injuries being a little too uh, like the, if they get a slow start, they're done. But this league, that's never the case. Yeah. I feel that I think, okay, if you can make it to, middle may early june even as late as july i think you might be okay if you can just kind of hang around you're not mathematically eliminated and then you go on a run and it's going to come down to lasada uh now if if what he said about the preseason game with nycfc is true where every single player was up for a corner and you only got one guy back there pretty much then that is uh that's making me lean more towards them being bad right because yeah. I, I don't think that now of course no he could be doing that he could be doing that to see how it how it looks but if he's going to actually go with that sort of play style then that's going to be a problem uh but th- that's my thoughts on it my thought is pretty much that they can uh land uh much to like logan says he doesn't like when people say this yeah. they can land anywhere from playoffs <laughs> and to bottom right this is yeah. but i will for the preview on friday next Friday, I will land on a final spot for them where I think they're going to be. Yeah. And you're right. I think it all just depends on Masada. What does he get out of this club? He comes in here and it's a disaster and a half again. And again, it's tough to transition the MLS, not just for players. It's tough for coaches to try to figure out what exactly is going on. Um, And so that's where my concern is. Like you said, Jordan, some of the inconsistencies that I think Jason saw in uh, preseason. Yeah. It might just be preseason, but, to have your guys kind of in weird spots and different formations and not really have clarity on who's going to be where that's concerning. And I think with, like Jason said, if this starts out poorly and I know that's not like what the MLS is, but it might be difficult for a a younger coach, uh, a new coach to try to turn the the bad into, you know, gold and make it. And if it's in the players' heads, like he mentioned about Ola and Gressel, if they're forcing it too much, if, if they do start out slow, I guess that could pile up and then they're just dig too much of a hole that they can't get out of. All right. Well, uh, if you want to reach us and tell us how DC United is going to win MLS cup, you can reach us at Twitter on Twitter at stateside show, Instagram at stateside show, facebook.com slash stateside show, or email us stateside show at gmail.com. Uh, all of our links are in the link tree, which is in the show notes. It has the YouTube, the Twitch. I'm not going to spout all those off, but guess what? Twitch is slash stateside show. Uh, so there you go. Uh, we will be back to recap some Eastern conference team. Who Inter Miami. Inter Miami. And then Chicago Sorry. and then Orlando. And then we're done. So there you go. Uh, Miami, Chicago, Orlando, uh, is what's next. So, Keep an eye out for those, and we will catch you all next time. Tomorrow, throwing his body in. It's going to fall for Ibrahimovic. Oh, come on! Come on! Thank you for listening to Stoppage Time Soccer Show. We hope that you continue to listen to our show as we recap the U.S. Men's National Team, Americans Abroad, MLS, USL, This is Stateside Soccer Show presented by Stoppage Time Soccer Show. Have a good one.